There's a whole lot of things I want to tell you about Adventures dangerous and queer Some you could guess And some I've only hinted at So please lend me your ear Everyone has a relationship with gender. What's your story? Hello and welcome to Gender Stories with your host, Dr. Alexian Taffy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Gender Stories with your host, Alexian Taffy. Um, my voice might sound a little different today because I just have had periodontal surgery, but that will not stop me from taping another episode for you wonderful listeners. Today, as we're taping, is Transgender Day of Visibility, and I'm interviewing my wonderful producer and partner, Ruth Holden, about what it's like to be visible as a trans person and as a pagan. Hi, and welcome on the show, Ruth. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> um, you've listened to pretty much every episode, given that you actually produce this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you like to say about um, what's it like to actually be on the show rather than just producing it? I'm realizing just how much more nervous I am when a microphone is put in front of me. <laughs> but in my day job, I do um, webinars and things like that. So it's not too different. I just usually am not seen by the people I'm talking to. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about so many things. One of the things that, um, but let's start with the fact that it's Transgender Day of Visibility. And visibility, I think, is such a complex construct because who are we visible for and why and who doesn't get a choice on whether we're visible or not and who does and also who is safer in terms of visibility and who's not for example you know um we talked about i think i've talked about this on the show before that i'm non-binary but for a lot of black and brown non-binary folks it might not be as safe to be kind of more visibly um, gender expansive mm. than for white folks, for example. But what does visibility mean to you in particular as a trans person? Good question. So for the listener's sake, um, I am a white, privileged, non-binary person. I quote unquote pass, if you want to use the term pass, um, as male. So typically if I go to a restaurant or something, I'm getting served and all of that kind of stuff without question. Um, and so for me, especially living in an area like South Minneapolis and having come from the Bay area, my visibility wasn't, didn't put me in danger, Mm -hmm. you know, me being like, I was able to be out because, you know, quote unquote, the worst thing someone would mistake mistake me for is a woman, Mm -hmm. which is not a terrible thing, honestly. Um, but for me, visibility is about being able to be seen, um, and have people listen to me and know that. That my voice is valuable. Mm. Um, the problem with the way that I know I look at it is that I want it to be valuable to other people first because then it makes it valuable to me. Mm. And so I know for a lot of folks, being visible is about other people seeing them. But honestly, for me, it needs to be like, I know I need to look at like, how am I, how am, how am I allowing myself to see myself? 
So we're going to get a little bit personal and you talked about how important it is for you to be visible to yourself. And one of the things that has become increasingly visible to yourself is your non-binariness. Because in my understanding, when you first came out, you identified more as a trans man, but increasingly you've been more comfortable with feeling um, feeling into a non-binary identity for one mm -hmm. of a better word and so what's it like to become more visible to yourself as a non-binary trans person definitely that's a great question so when I first came out about four or five years ago um, I actually came out first to my spiritual community which is uh, a pagan community and in the pagan community we do have a lot of folks that are um, I won't say boundaryless, but they are the edge walkers they are the people mm -hmm. that do live on the edge of the, the boundaries of society there's a lot of folks that are disabled there's a lot of folks that are um, you know, non-binary or transgender, a lot of folks obviously that are following different spiritual traditions than we find in sort of standard society, you know, in American society specifically. Um, so for me, when I first came out, I came out, out to that community and I came out with they, them pronouns um, because the people I was coming out to were specifically a uh, ungendered group of witchy practitioners. It was specifically a group that was created um, to be genderless because a lot of times in pagan practice there's like the men's group and there's the women's group there's the family group if you, you know, need to be able to bring your kids but this um, this group of people had actually created a space for you know everybody everybody else will for say. people of all genders exactly <laughs> you know and it was it was definitely like a nice nice group to be able to come out to and feel comfortable because it was there were other people you know there were metagender folks there were non-binary people there were trans men and trans women I mean it was the whole, you know, the whole spectrum was represented. And it was a fairly small group of people. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first came out, you know, I came out and used they, them. Um, but then I, I had some self-hatred with myself about that, of being able to say, well, like, I'm sort of in the middle. Like, I don't identify one way or the other. Um, and I went, like, full... So I'm assigned female at birth. And I went, like, fully one, you know, to that other end of the binary. I was, like, masculine. I was... You know, I went and got a bunch of plaid shirts and jeans and boots. And, like, keep in mind, like, in high school, like, if you could see what I'm wearing right now, I'm basically wearing the same stuff I wore in high school. It's like a black t-shirt, maybe a hoodie, jeans, boots. Um, and when I was attempting to meet this, like, female identity thing that I was trying, you know, that I had for a long time, you know, I was trying so hard to, like, wear makeup and stuff like that. And I always felt like I was in drag. Mm -hmm. It always felt like drag to me to do makeup or a skirt or anything like that. So I come out and I go fully to the other end of the spectrum. I'm like, you know, no makeup, no nail polish, anything like that. Um, and I was using he, him pronouns. And we finally characterized it as my like angry white dad identity because it was just like, it was, you know, I was calm, but it was because I was shut down. Like I was non-emotional because the testosterone did kind of like dial me down a little bit on emotional expression in the beginning you know and a lot of that's probably more psychological effects mm -hmm. of you know going through that kind of transition so it's sort of like I went all the way down to one side and you know over the last couple of years as I've been around again you know moved to Minneapolis I'm around a lot more like non-binary folks um, and many many more gender expansive folks than I was seeing in the Bay Area which like sounds amazing for the Bay but I was in the North Bay which is a lot more conservative um, and I particularly was living in a suburb where it was a lot of cis, you know, hetero families. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to fit in. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's like I'm living in a community where it's like, 
I go to, you know, a couple of restaurants right around here that are in walking distance of the house have signs up that say, please don't refer to your servers as he, him. We use gender expansive pronouns of they, them for all of our workers here. Yeah, don't assume people's gender. Yeah, yeah and it's fantastic. Here. And it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, and I can actually, you know, it's really easy for me to apply that to somebody else. But then to apply it back to myself was like, oh, oh, okay. Like now I, I feel more comfortable to be able to like, you know, go without a binder. I'm like, I used to bind every day. Mm-hmm. I haven't worn a binder in months. Actually, probably close to a year at this point. It's amazing being able to just be okay with the body that I have and know that even if it doesn't meet, meet, you know, one of these binary ideals, that I'm still valid. Mm. And so it sounds like becoming more visible to yourself has kind of led to some more kind of freedom for you to express yourself in a way that's more comfortable. I, I, you didn't. You did mention paganism, and now many pagan traditions can still be fairly binary. Not mm-hmm. all of them, but there's still this uh, idea of cisgenderism. So the inherent reality of um, this idea that there is an inherent reality of like two genders and mm-hmm. this conflation of sex and gender in paganism. And uh, we do come from a tradition, the reclaiming tradition, that used to be called the goddess tradition and then change its principles of unity to reflect the fact that many trans and or non-binary folks are also part of the tradition and and have been part of the tradition Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Um, What was it like to, and I believe you were also part of the Sister of Havilland? Right. What was it like to kind of come out um, in the context of a um, spiritual tradition that really values kind of sisterhood and the divine feminine and to come out kind of more towards the trans masculine end of the spectrum. Thanks. So the sisterhood of Avalon was a tradition that, um, I was a part of for a couple of years and, um, you know, went to one of their retreats and I was still, um, I was identifying female at that point. I hadn't come out. Like I was definitely like sort of in my head knowing the things I was interested in wearing and stuff like that. But, um, the women in that tradition were really sweet and accepting. Like, honestly, it's, um, I didn't, I only came out to a couple of people there, um, because I actually just, I was already working within the reclaiming tradition, you know, so I already had a a solid spiritual practice there. And then I had been working with, um, Kaya congregational, but that's where the like gender expansive circle had come from. Um, and so the sisterhood of Avalon was, was lovely and it was providing a lot of similar tool sets to what I already had you know, moon practices and things like that. Um, but towards the end of my work with them, um, you know, I did talk to a couple of the folks that were on, I can't remember what they call it. I think it's like the, you know, essentially like their board or something like that. Um, and I was just like, so, Hey, you know, I really appreciate the work you're doing here. And I am curious to see, you know, do you, you know, if you do accept trans women or people who identify as female, and they're like, yes, of course, mm-hmm. you know? And so that, that wasn't even a questioned thing, which is lovely given, the last couple of years and how um, trans exclusionary stuff has been coming up a lot in pagan traditions and coming out, I should say, not coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, yeah. And I think it's really great that you asked whether trans women were accepted because I don't know about you, but one of the experiences I've had in pagan circles is like, because I was assigned female at birth, it was basically like, oh no, you're fine. You have the genitals that we would consider okay for the divine feminine. So we're going to erase your identity (laughs) and kind of welcome you into the circle. But trans women are not fine because 
there is still this kind of essentialist gender idea. So I guess that's why it was important for you to ask about trans women specifically, because Absolutely. they might have been okay with you, but they might not have been okay with trans women as it happens in many traditions. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they were, they were, yes. The mindset there is very expansive and the work that they're doing is really lovely. And I highly recommend if you are interested in a women's tradition um, or a spiritual circle like that, they do a lot of work online too, which is lovely for people, especially if you're like, you know, kind of out in the middle of nowhere and don't have, you know, access to face-to-face -face circles. I highly recommend them. Mm -hmm. And they're always at like Paganicon and um, Pantheacon, mm -hmm. you know, with like a, a suite. So, yeah. Great. So what's it like, though, to be a more kind of non-binary trans person in paganism, given that often it is kind of daughters and sons of something, mm -hmm. you know, sisters and brothers, you know, the, you know, the lord and lady in a lot of tradition, you know, that kind of binary gets um, um, reinforced constantly. And often even when it's challenged, I've had people tell me, oh, but it's okay, because sometimes we have two people of the same gender be high priest or high priestess or kind of swap gender around without mm -hmm. understanding they're still talking about just two genders which is still not really inclusive on non-binary folks yeah absolutely um it's always been kind of interesting because it's like when i when i look at you know like when i look mm -hmm. at you know the, the big blue book raymond buckley's um you know book of witchcraft you know i'm reading it and it's talking about the lord or the high priest or whoever and then talking about the other and it's like i could see myself in either role you know, and I always could have seen myself in either of those roles. And in my head, it's like a lot of times, like, um, I'm trying to think, because like Meg John Barker talks about the plural self. Mm -hmm. And like, that's kind of how I would roll. It was just like, you know, a lot of times, like I was a solitary practitioner for a very long time. So I was just like, all right, I can do this high priest stuff. I can do this high priestess stuff. Like, I'll just do all these pieces. And it was really easy to sort of make myself fit into those roles. Um but yeah, the hearing the plural self idea like really does bring to mind how I kind of how I am now. Like there's mornings where I wake up and I don't, you know, gender doesn't really play a role. There's some days where I wake up and I'm like, oh, like I want like a pretty bra, but it's like my, you know, my tiny like faggot inside that is like, I want like a really pretty like lacy bra to get to wear around. Um, you know, and it's those different parts of me kind of wake up and have their time and do whatever work they need to do. And then you know, go back to sleep or kind of hang out and like have coffee with the, the sibs while, <laughs> <laughs> while somebody else comes out to play the next day. So you said in many ways you were kind of adapting things that were meant for a more binary gender mm -hmm. to your own practice because you felt more fluid. Mm -hmm. But what about finding a practice that was more expansive and where you could be all of yourself rather than having to fit yourself into mm -hmm. a kind of more binary pagan belief system or practice system? Yeah. Um, good question. So I think a lot of my work within the reclaiming tradition has really fed into that because it's non-hierarchical and also there's it's not divided by gender. Like mm -hmm. even to the point that we do de-gender our bathrooms at mm -hmm. events and things like that. Um, because part of reclaiming is that it is um, a tradition that comes from the activist community as well. And so, you know, it's not uncommon for people to be like gender activists and things like that within that space. Um, and so a lot of times with, you know, like if I had a ritual role, mm -hmm. it didn't matter what my genitals were for it. Mm -hmm. You know, even if there was a role where something was going to be in the nude, which, you know, sometimes in covens or in pagan practice, that's a thing that mm -hmm. comes up. Um 
I, I did have people check in with me of like, hey, this is potentially a part of this thing. Would you be okay with it? Um, and so, and it wasn't just because I was trans. It was one of those things where they would ask anybody that question. Mm. You know, no one was expected to do something they felt uncomfortable with. It was, there's this, you know, the, the, the running phrase was, you are your own spiritual authority grounded in community. And so if something didn't feel right to me, whether it was my gender or because of, you know, trauma that I had in my past mm-hmm. or anything like that, you could just say, well, no, I don't feel comfortable with this and figure it out. You know, talk to someone and figure out a different way to do something or, you know, if someone else needed to step into a role or something like that, it was something that we did, you know, fairly easily. So it sounds like, in a way, there was a culture of consent yes. around ritual roles, which did include gender, but was not limited just to gender. Absolutely. Uh, which, in some ways, feels probably more inclusive, I would say. At least that's my experience. Definitely. I would agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. It was my mm-hmm. experience as well. So you also talked a little bit about, you know, moving from um, the North Bay to Minneapolis, and I know originally you are from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So what what's it like to be visible in this different geographical region? So you still go back, for example, to California mm-hmm. because your co-parent is there, and so you kind of fly back and forth um, with your kiddo, and you still have family in West Virginia, and you've made kind of... Dakota Anishinaabe territory, currently known as Minneapolis, uh, your home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's it like to be visible in this different geographical context? Um, it kind of ranges from totally fine to kind of scary, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll start with Minneapolis and sort of work my way back. So, in Minneapolis, ninety percent of the actually like ninety nine percent of the time, I feel fine with how I'm being perceived. I feel safe, you know, and all that. Um, going back to California. And honestly, a lot of it actually is like dealing with flights and things like that can be tricky because Mm. um, if I'm looking for a men's room, most of the time it's totally fine if I'm in the men's room and my little human, you know, it needs me for something, you know, he, he usually calls me mom and actually he's reverted now to calling me um, by essentially by my legal name Mm -hmm. because that's, you know, that's most comfortable for him. Um, so I don't get I don't get called mom or dad or anything like that. I'm just root essentially, and so traveling can be a little bit tricky. Um, in California, I I fit in fairly well. Like the school that my kiddo was at was I work from home most of the time, and so like honestly, I'm just not around people a lot. Mm. The the place I'm mostly around other people is like going to my kid's school, doing PTO stuff, and all that. Um, pagans do PTO, you know, that's, that's one of those things of like, we're everywhere. And trans people too. And trans people too. <laughs> it's so funny. Like the times that I'll go to meetings and have like that little head nod with other people and be like, Oh, Hey, I know you from the trans community, or I know you from the pagan community, or I know you from the school community. And like, we're both at a ritual, like, you And know. PTO is parent teacher organizations or parent teacher associations for listeners who are not in the U S. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so being in California, Northern California, the areas I, I was in were like Sacramento and um, like Roner Park, Santa Rosa. And those are fine. Those are areas where I'm definitely, this is, this is one of those horrible things, right, that comes with, with privilege mm-hmm. of I'm safe because I look like a dude. I sound like a dude. I dress like a dude. Like And, and you look like a white dude. And I look which like is a extra dude, safe. which is extra safe. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, you know. The, the, the way that I talk and the fact that, you know, that I can pull out my debit card and pay for anything, you know, whatever I need and all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I'm safe because I pass. 
and because I have the, those privileges. Um, but I know that friends of color, even friends of color that aren't trans, that are just slightly effeminate, aren't safe in those areas, mm-hmm. you know? Um, in West Virginia, it's a lot trickier, and there's a lot of stuff around it that I um, don't necessarily want to want to talk about That's in, fair. in broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um even before I came out as trans, being in West Virginia and just being myself is a tricky business. Um, I was a goth kid in high school, you know, like we're all black. Now I still occasionally like we're all black and have tattoos and all that. Um, I was out to breakfast one time with my dad. My dad is just, you know, very standard, like this white dude. And I was out to breakfast with him and his wife and I was getting stared at because I had visible tattoos. I had like a black, like kind of lacy shirt on because... I was um, going, I was basically flying back to California that night and going to a, a metal concert. And so I was kind of dressed for it because I knew as soon as I got to the airport on the other side, I was going straight to it. Mm. And so I was out to breakfast with my dad like that. And yeah, so I was definitely getting stared at. And that was still when I was mostly assigned female, you know. Female uh, presenting. Pre- female presenting, yeah. Um, being there now, you know, when I, when I do just kind of look very duty, I do feel myself go into like, there's like a shutdown that happens emotionally. I'm much more interested in sports and cars. Um, and yeah, it's, I drop into those conversations. I drop into a different way of speaking. Like I can hear the accent, like the way I'm speaking right now because I'm comfortable and feel safe is much more how I actually talk. It's like, I do have a little bit of like the, the quote unquote, like stereotypical, like Bay area, like gay inflection in the way that I talk. Um, but when I'm back there, it's it's different. I even actually start gaining a little bit of an accent, um, just because like the area I grew up in, it is a little more blue collar, and so yeah, I, it's I automatically start doing what I need to to drop in and be safe, mm. and it's not things I'm choosing to do. Even even there, I would be safer than you know friends that I've got that are living there still mm-hmm. that um, you know are people of color, are pagan, are you know anything you know outside of like the standard cis white hetero but it sounds like it's almost like a body automatic trauma response for survival to just kind of fall into that uh, type of masculinity that you know it's going to be accepted around you Mm -hmm. definitely and it's i know a lot of folks that don't behave that way there a lot of like assigned male at birth folks that are you know very expensive with their Mm -hmm. feelings and things like that and I see them do it too, honestly, with like the right company. It's, you know, it's just what you do to be safe. Basically code switching, which is marginalized yes. folks have been doing that for forever. Probably I do not have scientific data on this, but yeah, my but guess is that the survival instinct kicks in and that code switching is part of that survival. Yeah. And, yeah. and talking of which, not only have you kind of, um, experienced being yourself and being visible in different geographical area, but also you talked about work and working from home. Mm. You work in tech, which yep. is traditionally a kind of a male-dominated environment. And when you started working in tech, you were female presenting and identified and then transition. What's that visibility first as a more female identified and presenting person and then as a trans person been like for you in the tech world? When okay. um, hmm. So <laughs> something I've identified over time, we'll start with that is that I started doing tech support and being on the phone, like doing software cute, you know, software questions and things like that um, when I was about 17, which is way too young for anyone to be on the phone getting yelled at by people for, for a living. 
Um, so ways that I handled it included, you know, I had to like not take anything personally. So there's a lot of shutting down of emotion. There's a lot of, you know, not allowing things to bother me. There's a lot of like, there was a lot of duding. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but it's, yeah, like I would go kind of dudish just to get Sounds my like a lot of toxic masculinity because oh, yeah. it's ingrained in the culture and that's how you're taught Absolutely. to survive, basically. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like the first company I worked for, the only women there were the secretary and the HR person. That was it. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was a dude um, or assigned male at birth. And then the other companies I've been at, like at um, both up in Northern California and then um, another company that I work with, it's actually from overseas. They have much more expansive cultures. You know, they're much more family oriented and um, slightly more diverse, but not very much. Like I'm still not seeing a lot of women in, you know, leading teams and things like that. Has it been easier in some way to be in tech kind of with a kind of male being more male presenting now kind of with a male sounding name for which is different (laughs) for your work um have you noticed a difference in the way that the public relates to you or your I do Mm -hmm. I do um emails are so much more blunt than they used to be Mm. which is a really interesting thing like from the same people um not from the same people oftentimes it's from people from different people like Mm -hmm. Um, Because the people who know me, so the company I work for, I'm not going to name it, but they're amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. I basically talked to my CEO and my direct boss and, and, you know, a couple of years ago, and I was just like, so, hey, I've been working for you for, like, a couple of years, and I'm transgender, um, and I would like to change my email address and change the name people refer to me by. And the CEO said, okay, what else do you need us to do to support you? Like, we can get you business cards. Um, My immediate boss actually took on the work of contacting the people that I was in contact with on a daily basis, because I basically was dealing with about 60 different Mm -hmm. companies, he took on reaching out to them and being like, hey, this person has changed their name and changed their pronouns. Um, That's great. It was amazing. It was a really amazing thing. Um, I had no idea. Like, I knew that my immediate team would be supportive. I had no idea, like, the steps that they would take for me. It was amazing. And, yeah, they're still amazing. Um... But yeah, and you know, the reception I've had, people have been fine. Like nobody I haven't had I've had a couple people reach out and be like, Hey, I'm really proud of you, like I'm glad to hear it. Um, you know, let us know if we can do anything to support you, which is really sweet. Because there's some folks that I've been working with. It's a it's a sort of a niche industry. Mm-hmm. And so there's people I've been working with for over a decade, even though we've been, you know, both in, in, different, diff- in different in different companies and things like that. Um but yeah, so but one piece is that the the area of tech that I'm in, I'm actually more in the more like support and services side um, and the training side. And the training side does tend to be more, uh, there's a lot more women. It's a lot more women led. Um, and it is just like this weird kind of gross divide where it's like the men are, you know, building the software and the women are training, training people on how to use it. And it's such a weird thing. But you're one of the people who train people on how to use it. And now people reach out and it's like, hey, this is Root and I'm going to train you on how to do this thing. And like... You know, when I get super excited, it, it used to bother me because my voice gets a lot higher. Like, mm-hmm. even throughout this interview, my voice has probably been getting a little bit higher. Um, and it used to really bother me if I'd, like, listened to a recording and realized that. But now, you know, that a couple years ago, it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, whatever. This is what I sound like. I'm excited about the thing. And I just let myself run with it. Um, so it's been, it has been interesting to see how the reception has changed. But yeah, emails, people are a lot different. Like, they used mm-hmm. to be... 
I don't know. I don't know how it was. I don't even know what the wording would be to like give you an example, but emails are more blunt when people ask for things. It's a lot more like, hey, I need this rather than being like, hey, how are you doing? I could use this thing when you have some time. So it's been kind of a fascinating transition to see. Mm-hmm. So kind of really noticing how gender does modulate people's kind of expression, even at work. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And has it been kind of, have you noticed whether you're more automatically given or authority by people because of being male presenting or not as much because that's one of the things that often comes up in the literature that's like men you know gotta listen to more Mm. than women when they're talking about tech stuff so I was just curious whether you notice any difference or because of your job not really because you've always been a trainer so yeah it's I've always been a trainer and when I drop into uh like management type roles like I had to you know manage tech support team for a little while and stuff like that um I haven't really noticed any changes but to be perfectly honest, I have a really deep voice, like even for someone assigned female at birth. And so there are times that I don't know if someone, you know, they might have thought my name was, you know, Corey rhymes with my, my original given name. And it's like, you know, they might have thought that Corey could be a dude. You know, there was no way that they would have known necessarily. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. So you might have benefited from some of that regardless, before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even before you transitioned. Exactly. Mm hmm. And like you said, you used to care a lot more, like if your voice went up or what people thought, and now you care less, which in some way we kind of come in full circle to this idea of of what's it like to become visible to yourself. Mm -hmm. So not so much as visible to other people, but visible to yourself. So as we're coming towards the end of this beautiful conversation about visibility, I wonder what words of advice you have, if any, for people who are also interested in exploring more and becoming more visible to themselves as themselves, because there can be so much pressure as explored in this podcast about gender in general for everybody. Gotcha. Um, one big thing, honestly, is find supportive trans community, you know, not necessarily connected to your work, but, um, you know, find other people that are maybe in the same boat. It could be through a spiritual, you know, community. It could be through meetup.com or something like that. Just whatever, you know, find not necessarily mentors, but mentors and peers in the trans community have meant the world to me. Um, and there's a lot of people that if I hadn't seen a couple of friends actually that are in the tech field and are visible and are trans and they went through that transition with, you know, the same coworkers before and after, if I hadn't seen them do it and know about their experience, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in that way, seeing them do it kind of gave you that confidence yeah, of becoming their visibility, their visibility helped your visibility. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like if one person comes away from listening to this podcast and is like, oh, maybe I can do this thing and be okay, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's definitely always my goal is like if one gender story resonates with one listener and who makes them feel slightly less alone and slightly more supported, that's it. My job is done, yeah. right? That's kind of what we're here for so that we can connect through our gender stories and we can kind of find ways of supporting each other. Are there any resources that you w- would recommend today for people who want to explore that visibility for themselves first before um, sharing it with anybody else? Um, this is like such a hilarious plug, but your book uh, with Meg John... <laughs> So it is, How Do I Understand Your Gender? A Practical Guide for Exploring Who You Are. Thank which, you. I swear, I did not ply my partner with Thai food to, <laughs> to promote. <laughs> the Thai food was unrelated. Yes. Um, 
it's a really good it's a really good workbook to work through and actually just sit with it. and I think that's actually a lot of um, what's helped me to sit with it and be like oh okay these are these are things that um, like you know disconnecting like gender from sexuality was you know one huge thing a lot of people go through like oh am I gay and it's like oh no I'm not gay but I'm trans you know but the book kind of took it to that's sort of like the one-on-one level of like coming out and figuring things out on that first level the book helped me kind of dive deeper and go like okay like I don't have to be, there is not a one or the other mm-hmm. that I need to check a box for, you know. Um, so the book is a huge piece. Um, I'm trying to think of other good ones. There's a lot of good information out there. Um, if you are, like, queer in tech and looking for support, honestly, like, go search for it. Go look for groups. Um, I've found lots of things on Meetup. I've found a ton of Facebook groups for various things, like, there's, there's so many niche groups on there and you can find supportive people and kind of taking, taking a page from like the spiritual community, um, you are your own spiritual authority, like grounded in community. So if something does not feel right to you, if you don't feel safe coming out in your company, if you don't feel like you'll be supported coming out to like, you know, your religious group or something like that, there are people out there that will support you. It can be hard to find them but please go and look for them and don't try and do this on your own. Um, part of my work in the world is that I'm also in recovery and in recovery, um, one of the biggest tools we learn is that isolation is death. Mm-hmm. Isolation is the thing that's going to prevent you from being able to move on with your life and enjoy it. Um, so finding community is a huge piece the reclaiming tradition you can find them online at reclaiming.org um and you can find there's there's lots of like local reclaiming groups all over the world um and so they're a really good resource if you're looking for pagan spiritual practice potentially or classes or things like that um yeah those are the big ones i can think of off the top of my head thank you and i always ask this last question which is is there anything i haven't asked you about that you are hoping to kind of talk about or that you were thinking, oh, I really wish uh, Alex would ask me about that, whatever that is. Gotcha. Um, I don't think there's anything additional for me right now. I am um, putting together a little business aside from like doing podcast production and aside from like my software training world. Uh, you mean the podcast production that you do freely do, <laughs> for me? <laughs> I also do transcriptions. <laughs> I it is totally a project, like a love project. It's the work that you're doing and the information you're getting out there. Like this is the stuff that I needed fifteen, mm-hmm. you know, twenty years ago. This is the stuff that a very confused high schooler would have been like, "Oh, I'm not gay. I'm trans." Like, and maybe also gay. And maybe because you are a little bit gay. I, yeah, that's real talk. Real talk. <laughs> Non-binary, all of the things. Non-binary, all of the things. Non-binary, okay. <laughs> it's, uh, me and my friend Lizanne. So Lizanne is this wonderful reclaiming witch who's un- unfortunately passed away since. We used to joke that we're poly everything. Like, we're like poly, you know, in terms of religion, in terms of, you know, relationships and all that. And, po- and like, also polygender. <laughs> and it was just kind of delightful. Mm. I don't know why I added that. That's okay. Maybe you just wanted to have a moment of remembering connection with your friend. Yeah. She was, she was hugely visible in the community as being queer and all that. So yeah, she's delightful. So probably one of those other people who inspired you to embrace fully who you were because of her visibility, right? In kind of 
all of those different things in yeah. yeah. And I think that is amazing how kind of we inspire each other to be more and more visible and also how we keep each other safe yes. by being visible to each other and also how important it is not to judge each each other when we cannot be visible yes. in different circumstances because our safety always needs to come first. Yes. And I love how you mentioned that, yep, sometimes you just do what you need to do to feel safe in different circumstances or in different geographical areas. And that's okay. And some people might need to do that for different reasons in different areas of their life. And, and that code switching for survival is absolutely um, what we do as kind of um, minority groups. Yes. Never apologize for not being visible. That's one thing that happened. Like when I first came out, people would be like, oh, why aren't you posting about Trans Day of you know visibility on your page or something like that? And it was like, it's not up to you, cis friend and supposed ally, to decide when I get to come out or when mm. you think I'm going to be safe. So thank you for saying that. It's definitely, it is up to you to make sure that you are safe and do not apologize for what you need to do to keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you for this episode on recorded on the actual Trans Day of Visibility. Um, and thank you so much for helping with this labor of love that is Gender Stories. And dear listeners, if you do want to support this labor of love, you can go to my Patreon, which eventually I will get used to writing on. But for now, you can find it at patreon.com slash gender stories. And of course, you can make use of the wonderful resources that Ruth mentioned, How to Understand Your Gender, Practical Guide for Exploring Who You Are. And the new book that's coming out in May, Life Isn't Binary, which seems very relevant to this conversation in many ways. And um, until then, stay safe. And whether you're visible or not in all your gender expansiveness, I hope that you enjoy your gender no matter what. <laughs>